Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monday Night Wars. It is October 16th, 1995, and as always, we are live with WCW Monday Night Nitro from the Albany Civic Center in Albany, Georgia. With me is Joseph Rojas. How are you doing, Joseph? I'm good, Scott. And you know, last week, I think it was last week, I talked about kind of the the various genders that are lis- listening to our program. And you said that I was lying, which I was not. I actually sent you. Uh, I've the- seen it. I confirm it. Yep. So the other thing that I want to talk about this week, though, is the ages that we're having. So <clears throat> as of the most recent metrics, we got 12.2% in the 23 to 27 de- demographic, which I think makes a little bit of sense. That's a little bit younger than both of us are. They really weren't around for the Attitude Era. I kind of understand it, but still, you know, over 10%. I think that's pretty strong in the 28 to 34, which is kind of right in our sweet spot. We got a a massive 48.6, so I appreciate that. And then 35 to 44, these are all all the guys who are going to tell you it never got better after the Attitude Era. Uh, We got 37.8. That's pretty, pretty, pretty big. Um, very- that, well, I, I got I to stop you there, bro, because that, that's that's my demo. That's what I'm in. Are you trying to say that I'm one of those guys that said... I'm, I'm not saying that you're old, but I'm just going to move on. Let, uh, let, let me, I'll just say one thing, okay? Yeah. It never got better after the Attitude Era. That's all I got to say about that. See? Thank you. Uh, and then 45 to 59, we have a measly 1.4%, which you think I would be upset about. But what I'm really upset about, Scott, more than anything... Is that the 60% and up demographic? We have no one. Not a single person has listened to us. And I think, which I think is really unfortunate for both of us, because I would argue that both of us are what uh, people call old souls. We like a lot of old movies, a lot of old programs. That's kind of kind of our thing. So I'm going to try to market ourselves a little bit today to that demographic and let's see if we can pull some in. So can you bear with me for a second? Go ahead, man. Shoot your shot. Okay. So uh, today's unofficial and unpaid sponsor is uh, I'm, I'm going to just go ahead and, and give them out right now. And I'm, I'm hoping that's going to draw in the crowd. Okay. So <clears throat> today's episode of the Monday night wars radio hours brought to you by Viceroy cigarettes. Everyone who is anyone smokes Viceroy cigarettes, whether you're a man or a woman. You can't be seen without a Viceroy cigarette in your head. I hope that worked. I mean, I'm I'm so interested now. That cool. really did it for me. But as for the topic at hand, what we are here to do, the whole purpose of this program is to talk about these Monday Night Wars. So I'm going to get into it now. And we start off at the commentary table and we are told that Sting is going to be Ric Flair's partner in the tag team match main event tonight, Joseph. Tell me about it. Dude, it's Sting. It's fantastic. Who doesn't want to see Sting tagging with, you know, with some flair? But our first match, before we get to that, our first match of the night is a match that we have been teasing for weeks now. If you recall, although we haven't really seen any of it on Monday Night Nitro, I've been telling the I've been telling the listeners at home about it cuz they needed to know and that is Johnny B. Bad versus Diamond Dallas Page for the WCW World Television Championship. There's there's no time because the match didn't even officially start. Tell me more about it, Joseph. I don't know if there's a single thing about this that I don't love. I mean, it's so layered with just absurdities. This is absurd in so many great ways. So he thinks that DDP slash his tires, the reason that he deduced that was I believe on Saturday night, uh, he says, you know, I couldn't make I couldn't make my match that as you mentioned to 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 face Sting. I had three slash tires, and I think you did it, DDP. And somewhere along the promo, DDP goes, I never slashed your four tires. And then then Johnny B. Bad goes, how'd you know it was four? I only said three. And that's how he hooked them. And it's so absurd. And I love it because you can tell that whoever wrote that really spent time on it. Like they really were like, how do we how do we, you know, Columbo this situation where we can get DDP to fool himself? And it's not that smart, but it's really fun. The match or, or lack thereof, I think, is good. I'm not normally one for, you know, DQs unless they progress a story. And this is so clearly these guys are going to be feuding. This is not going to be a one match 
situation. It's going to continue. It's going to involve Diamond Doll. It's going to involve, involve DDP. It's going to involve Johnny B. Bad. This is where we're going. And I love that because you have Johnny B. Bad who's not, I don't know if I would say he's like a main eventer. I, don't, I really don't think that, but he's a very, very capable mid-card guy. And you have DDP who kind of up until this point has really been lower card. He's been one of the higher lower cards, but now you're kind of drawing him into the mid card too. And you're having a really fun mid card rivalry between them. I think it starts off great. I think DDP oversells the hell out of this. I think Johnny B. Bad does a very good job of really being like, Hey, this dude really screwed me up. Um, and I think overall the segment would get a B for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it in an A class at all, but it is, it, it really works on kind of every angle. I don't I honestly don't think this could have been better. As you said, we normally don't like this kind of stuff, these, you know, DQ disqualification, no match kind of things. But from start to finish, the whole thing was great. But the thing is, we're going to get that match. We're going to get that match at Halloween Havoc. They're already scheduled. That's why we didn't get the match. A really good way to sell the pay-per-view, I felt. After that, though, we we head into our next match. Uh, we have Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. It's a pretty straightforward match, Joseph, so I'm going to let you handle the nitty-gritty of it, although I do have to say Benoit has a brutal power bomb in it. Other than that, I think I'll address the 800-pound gorilla in the room. We're not going to talk about Chris Benoit's backstory yet. We've discussed when we want to talk about that. It can't not be talked about. We feel like there's a natural place to discuss that, and we're not there yet, so we're not going to talk about it yet, but we will we will get there and we will give you all a, a spoiler trigger warning or whatever when the time comes. So if you don't want to hear it, if you don't want to hear the details, you can just fast forward. Uh, but now is not the time. We have Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero. Chris Benoit defeats Eddie Guerrero, 8-minute, 36-second match. And we're told by Bishop after the match that the reason these guys are here is because they're thinking about maybe starting a cruiserweight division. That's exciting, Joseph. Yeah, I love this. I think. Um First off, this is, uh, I would say still, this is Eduardo Guerrero. This is not Eddie Guerrero. I know they're calling him that, but there's nothing, there's nothing Eddie about him. So, you know, that from a, you know, when I was a child, I was a huge Chris Benoit fan. Um, and one of the things I, I was thinking about while I was watching this particular match, like why, what really attracted me to his wrestling style. And one thing I was realizing was when he wrestles, everything he does, whether it's a suplex, a chop, um, you mentioned, um, you know, the power bomb, whatever he does, there is a almost a snap to his movements. It's almost like a whip effect, and it's so so good and intense. And I really don't think I've ever seen anybody pull it off since. There's definitely been wrestlers who will do something very in a very powerful way and you'll go wow that really was a you know feat of strength but the way benoit wrestles matches it's almost like you don't expect the strength and it's so quick and i i really can't describe it beyond kind of a snap or whip effect um what this is, what this match is, what the goal of it is, 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 you know, one, as you said, for Bischoff to announce at the end of it, hey, we're, if you liked this, we're actually looking at potentially making a cruiserweight division. I think this match is the best thing that Bischoff or whoever decided this, whether it was Bischoff or Kevin Sullivan or whomever decided that this is the direction they wanted to go, this is the best match you could have started with. Is it, is it, you know, a five-star match or whatever? Probably not, but it gets an A-plus for me. It establishes who Chris Benoit is. It doesn't really show him as a heel or a face. Um, Eddie Guerrero, who obviously has worked with him a number of times uh, throughout uh, the country as well as other countries and knows him very well, they're, they're friends, um, is, a, is a perfect person for him to wrestle with. It's a great back and forth. There's a moment where... Uh, uh, Eddie actually, um, I think he hits the steel post with his arm and for the rest of the match, he sells that injury and credit to him. He either is actually hurt or this is a masterclass in selling an injury. 
I really don't know which one it is. And we'll probably see next week when we watch the next episode, see if he actually seems to be banged up. But he does such a great job of making it look like this really is affecting my performance. And then Benoit, in return, exploits that, uh, not in a heel way, but just in a you know tactical way. And it ends up kind of costing uh, Eddie the match. To me, regardless of... WCW or WWF, this match right here is by far the match of the week. That's bold, man. That's bold, but it is a very good match. It's a very exciting moment to be alive and watch in WCW Monday Night Nitro. But wait, there's more, Joseph. Call the WCW hotline tonight, buck 49 a minute, and you get to find out all the dirt about WWF. You get to find out which WWF official left the company over the weekend and how one superstar supposedly got in a fight with a fan in the parking lot and lost. Uh, the uh, The spoilers are the, the person that left was Bill Watts and the superstar that got in a fight in the parking lot was Shawn Michaels. We will talk more about Shawn Michaels when we get to, to Raw. Um, the Bill Watts thing, from what I've read, Bill Watts says, that he was on a three-month contract with WWF. He had no intention of staying. His contract ended. But any chance WCW can to make WWF look bad, they will. What did you think about this? Well, the Bill Watts thing, let's cover that first because that is the first thing that he mentions. Uh, So to my understanding, uh, Bill Watts, and this is just off of research, I think Bruce Pritchard mentions this in his podcast. And obviously... You know, if we ever cite Bruce Pritchard's podcast or Eric Bischoff's po- podcast, you do have to take these things with a bit of a grain of salt. You know, obviously, these are the guys who are definitely going to be in the rooms in these situations, but also it is their perspective. So you do have to kind of really weigh that and how you uh, look at things. Apparently, the Bill Watts thing, uh, to my understanding, was he kind of believed he was going to be in charge in WWF and really be laying down the law. And he tried to. And there's there's various stories uh, from different people. Kevin Nash apparently told him, and this is this was according to Kevin Nash. Uh, apparently, he started trying to uh, lay down the law, and Kevin Nash knew him because Kevin Nash obviously was in WCW uh, prior uh, to WWF, and he basically told him, you know, you you aren't the guy here. I'm the guy. Being being Kevin Nash, aka Diesel. I'm the guy. You don't get to tell me what to do. Um, not in those words exactly. There's definitely a different way he said it, but it's kind of the idea. Um, but Bill Watts, Bill Watts seemed to be kind of trying to throw his weight around. Bill Watts had a very, you know, I don't know if I would say legendary, but storied career for sure in wrestling. Uh, some, some good, some not so good. Um, he was a very competent promoter for a time. And I think that time had come and gone by this point, as I think it does for most promoters. I think you have a window of when you're very effective. Um, and I and it, he didn't. It wasn't working out for him. It wasn't working out for them. So they kind of said, "We're good." Now, obviously, you gave Bill Watts side of the story. So who's to say? I'm. Just, we're just giving you what we know. Um, it doesn't really matter, but it is what it is. Now, the 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 next thing of, you know, the fan <laughs> apparently beating up a uh, a wrestler in the in the parking lot. It was Shawn Michaels. Uh, that is not actually what happened. Uh, so they're gonna we're gonna kind of go into this a little bit in the WWF um, episode because they're they're going to go into it. So I think I'll save that for later uh, when we get later on in the episode. Um, but then uh, after this, obviously, it goes into the Kevin Sullivan stuff. So why don't we, why don't we talk about that? Why don't we talk about that? And what a great segue, Joseph. Thanks, man. You're so welcome. We now go live to Gene Okerlund, Mean Gene, who's interviewing the Giant and Kevin Sullivan. Sullivan says that after Halloween Havoc, Hulkamaniacs are going to switch their allegiance to the Dungeon of Doom. The Giant doesn't do a great job, but warns Hulk Hogan that he's going to push him off the roof in the monster truck match. He also puts his hand over Okerlund's face. Tell me more, Joseph. Tell me more. Well, the the hand over the face thing is really kind of a nod to um, Andre the Giant. You know, they're still playing on the whole that he is Andre the Giant's son because Andre did that to, 
I can't remember who he did it to, but it's definitely happened. It may have been Mean Gene, but I I, I can vividly see the. Uh, it was during their, re- I believe, during their WrestleMania three um, build up between him and Hogan. Um, so that's kind of a nod to that, you know, continuing the, the legacy. Um, overall, I have a note here that says Kevin Sullivan, uh, and this is no disrespect to him as a booker. This is just the character. Kevin Sullivan cannot be taken seriously in this gimmick with his Boston accent. I just don't buy anything that he says. I also, there's a lot of promos that we're going to come up to, especially on the WWF side that I, I kind of really wanted to see what they were saying and really pay attention to it and write down a lot of notes. This whole segment is so, I don't know if I would say it's bad. It's, it's not great. It's, it's not even good. I, I, I give the thing a C minus. I didn't want to, crush it too hard especially because giant is very new so i don't want to you know obviously you know paul white doesn't care what i say but you know he was very new at this time he was still learning and overall it just doesn't nothing nothing in it sticks with me like honestly the the hand thing i forgot about that until you mentioned it right now because there's nothing memorable about this promo and while you were uh saying that i went and i looked it up and yes it was mean gene that Andre the Giant put his hand next to Mean Gene's face and then put it on Mean Gene's face. That was a callback to that, which is kind of cool in hindsight. You know, the the, uh, the callback to, to that. I guess we're still kind of playing the giant is Andre the Giant's son thing, I guess. We don't talk a lot about it, but it seems like it's still kind of there. Uh, but you're right. Not a great punk promo all around. I don't hate Kevin Sullivan. I just don't really like Kevin Sullivan as the taskmaster. It's never really made sense that he's just kind of this evil mastermind kind of thing. You're right with that thick Boston accent. I like Kevin Sullivan when he's just being the brawler kind of guy. He's done some good matches that way. That's that was his gimmick. Wish he would do that. But Kevin Sullivan's the booker. And so he can do whatever he wants. And he's going to book himself and his people to the moon. And that's what we have here. But for a palate cleanse, Joseph, we need a palate cleanse. And boy, do we get one. Disco Inferno comes out and dances. But then he's chased away by Ming. What are your thoughts on this segment? You know, I um, the minute you started just being so positive, I hadn't even flipped my notes over, but I knew. Like, I knew what must be coming because of how positive you were being. And uh, I was right. And it it is disco Inferno. I'm not going to grade it because it's, it's such a small segment and it goes right into a match. I don't like it, but they are doing their due diligence and I will leave it at that. Well, after that, we move to a real down note in the night. We have Ming versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. I cannot believe what they did to my boy. Ming defeats Hacksaw in a minute 51. Break down this match for us, Joseph. Uh, I think it's a weird one. I think, you know, I think it was fine to have, have Ming win because obviously you are, you know, Kevin Sullivan is booking, you know, his guys as this powerhouse unit and th- then they need to for the storyline. I'm not saying Kevin Sullivan's doing anything wrong with that. They need to for the storyline. I did think... You know, hack. You know, hacksaw. I mean, it's hacksaw Jim Duggan. How are we? How are we giving him a minute for a match? I mean, he really does just get wasted. And it, it. I, I gave it a C because I think I know what they were trying to do, but I think you could have just done a squash match with a with a normal person in this. I think would have been fine. I think hacksaw was the wrong person to do that with. Um, that being said, this is Scott's boy, Scott loves him some hacksaw jim duggan so much so much so that for uh, i think it was for your birthday i actually uh went to hacksaw jim duggan's store and ordered scott a, an eight by ten signed by him for scott's birthday and then it didn't come in for a long time and i was getting very anxious because I was like, his, his, I know when his birthday is coming and like, this is, we're getting to the point where he may not get it. I think it did miss your birthday, uh, actually. And I ended up emailing them and being like, Hey, I ordered this way, way ago. 
when is this coming in? You know, it's my, it's my, it's my boy's birthday. I want to make sure he gets this. They, I don't know if they did respond. It did finally come in. It was beautiful. Uh, and then I found out that the reason it didn't come in uh, in a timely manner was because Hacksaw was dealing with cancer. So I felt like a horrible person because I had no idea. And if I had known, I would have never emailed and I would have just let whatever happens happen. So Hacksaw, from the bottom of my heart, even though you're never going to listen to this, I am so, so sorry. You digitally assaulted a man with cancer. Shame on you. Up next, though, Dark Hogan. I'm, I'm going to start calling him Dark Hogan. We're going to see if that sticks. Dark Hogan and Jimmy Hart do a promo. Hulk Hogan says he's like Don Corleone. And he's the most and he's more powerful than any promoter on earth. <laughs> Hart's worried, though. He's worried about Halloween Havoc. But Hulk Hogan tells him Dark Hogan tells him not to worry about it because he's going to tear the Dungeon of Doom apart one by one. He also calls, which I haven't mentioned this before, but he's been doing this quite a bit. He calls the giant big, nasty, and stinky uh, seemingly a dozen times. Joseph, what are your thoughts on the Dark Hogan promo? So I was really hoping you were going to mention Don Corleone, Hulk Hogan, because that's what exactly what he says. He says Don Corleone, Hulk Hogan, which like, like, it, okay, just think about that film and how strategic and tactical Don Corleone is. Hulk Hogan ain't that. He ain't that. Um, on top of that, he, he says now everyone knows the evil in Hulk Hogan is real. And my question to that is how, how do we know? Because there's nothing he's done. These segments would be so cool. If like each week Hulk Hogan with the, with the all black, you know, evil Hulk Hogan or, you know, dark Hulk Hogan, whatever you want to call it. Don, dark, Don Corleone, Hulk dark, Hogan, that's dark. That's, Hogan that's, trademarked it. Well, no, it's Don Corleone, Hulk Hogan. We got it. We got to go with what he said. If he each week picked off a member of the Dungeon of Doom, that would be fire. Jimmy Hart talks about how worried he is about what 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 he's gonna do at Halloween Havoc, as in what he's gonna do to the Dungeon of Doom. He just keeps saying that he's evil. And on top of that, uh, I this is something that we just can't miss, which is that late '90s and early 2000s sunglasses are the best. The segment gets a D for me, even with the sunglasses. That's why it didn't get an F. Okay. Okay. You know, and I don't understand all of this talk about how we don't know that he's evil. I mean, he's wearing all black, Joseph. It's so good. Up next, we have the main event. We have Ric Flair and Sting versus Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. But what happens? Well, there's no Sting. Sting doesn't come out. He's supposed to be helping Ric Flair, but he doesn't come. Flair has to wrestle one on two. Sting's suspicious of Flair. You know, they've had a long and storied rivalry. Sting, or Flair's tried to end Sting's career on multiple occasions. Can he really trust Ric Flair? Well, Ric Flair starts getting the beat down of his life. Sting decides that Ric really is uh, in the fight of his life with, with uh, Arn and Brian. This isn't a trick. This isn't a way to get at Sting. So Sting comes, comes down and tags in. He is running wild on the horseman. So much so that Anderson and Pillman, they've had enough. They leave. What happened, Joseph? I mean, you said what happened. I think I think overall this is great. Uh, number one, you know, as you mentioned, Sting doesn't come out, right? And that's that I think is really cool. The, the, the commentators start talking about that, and I love the work the three men do on this. Bobby is – his theory is, well – He's not coming out because he's scared, basically, which is exactly what you would expect from a heel commentator. And I don't remember what Mongo's what Mongo's take is on it, but Eric Bischoff, because I, I think Mongo is a little bit lost too. Like he's again, he's still kind of getting his feet wet. I do like Mongo on commentary. I'm very surprised to say that. I think that's blasphemy in WWE fans. I think he's fine. I think he adds a, a nice touch. But Eric Bischoff does a really good job, and then Mongo kind of starts catching on. Does a really good job of saying, well, because of how much he's gotten stabbed in the back, he is probably wanting Flair to prove that he actually needs his help and prove that he's really the man of his word by letting him go out and fight first. And and then he'll see, does he really, has he really, you know, turned over a new leaf? I think it's a really good 
job by the commentary team because they're they're debating it for a long time until Sting does eventually come out. And Flair versus the world is so good. I mean, him versus versus both of them. It's so fun watching him do it. There's a moment where he does the figure four on both. He has Arn and then Brian Pillman runs the ring and he sees Brian Pillman running in and he immediately gets out of it and then grabs Brian Pillman down and gets him in the figure four. It's so fun. But yeah, eventually Sting comes in. He's wearing a red and black face paint with red and black gear. It's an A plus. It looks great. His roots are starting to get even further. Um, and then uh, the crowd loves Sting. They're so hot for this, as I think they should be. And then obviously, uh, I think as you mentioned, uh, the Arn and uh, Pillman decide that they're they're done with this. They're not going to do it, and they they leave. Um, and so they get counted out for leaving. Um, I give the grade an A. I kind of would have liked to have have had a clean finish, but I will say because this is TV, you are trying to sell tickets and sell uh, pay per view buys. So obviously, you want to save you know, the, the supposed climax to this rivalry for your pay-per-view. So I get it. Um, but it's a lot of fun. It gets an A for me. We had two great teases for Halloween Havoc tonight. We had the Johnny B. Bad DDP non-match that I thought was a great tease for their match of Halloween Havoc. And I thought the Ric Flair Sting versus Arn and Pillman was a great tease for their match at Halloween Havoc. And then after we end, we end the night with, Okerlund, Mean Gene, talking with Flair and Sting. Sting says that, you know, he really he really saw uh, a change of heart in Flair there. He really admires Flair for having the guts to, to, to go into that match by himself and fight those two guys by himself. And that's why he came and helped. They give each other a high five. It's a beautiful thing. And they are ready for Halloween Havoc. Um, it's, it's a, it's a complete a for me overall, the show gets a B plus for me. I think even though there were some, some lows, I think the highs are really, really high and there's definitely more of them. I think it's a really fun show. Um, also I genuinely believe here that anything can happen in WCW. Like if I'm just watching it, there's been so many perfect swerves and new rivalries started and new alliances formed and things where you're not seeing the same old, same old, and, and you're seeing that anything can happen in WCW. Yeah, Sting and Ric Flair are mortal enemies. And now they're together and they're facing Ric Flair's old buddy, Arn Anderson, with Brian Pillman. Who would have thought? What a crazy night. But the insanity continues, Joseph, and not in a good way. Because we're going into WWF Raw, baby. It's it's October 16th, 1995, Grand Center, Grand Rapids, Michigan. I believe this is the same place we've been. We were we were here last week, and we've been in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area for a couple of weeks now. The show opens. Isaac Yankum. We got we got we got Isaac Yankum, Bret Hart, Jerry Lawler. They're all talking about the cage match main event. We get a caveat. If Lawler gets involved in that match, he's getting put in a smaller cage next to the main cage. Tell me about it, Joseph. Okay, so I actually uh, wrote down each of these promos because I think they need to be talked about. So Isaac Yankum starts, and then Bret Hart, and then Jerry the King Lawler. Isaac Yankum starts by saying, I'm going to apply the biggest set of braces in the history of the World Wrestling Federation to your teeth. That's his promo. That's the complete promo. Then Bret Hart comes on and he says, Dr. Isaac Yankum, DDS, and Jerry the King Lawler, you've both uh, respectively, or you know, you're both respectively the tartar and the abscess of the World Wrestling Federation. And tonight, inside this 15-foot steel cage, I am going to be your uh, personal hygienist. That's that's the end of his pro, uh, promo. Your personal hygienist, and then and, prob and probably delivered just as deadpan as you just delivered. Yeah, no, it really is. And then and then, and then Jerry says, uh, Bret Hart tonight. Isaac Yankum is going to cure your gingivitis and overbite. When he gets through with you, you're going to look like your trench mouth mother. And I know his victory is under lock and key, which is a teaser for later on in the episode. Those are all, all three promos. I give this segment a 
B question mark, because I genuinely don't know if this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen or the best or both. And what a hot start to the night that was. I'm surprised you gave it a B because I gave it a B question mark. Okay. That is the exact grade because I don't know what to make of this. B question mark. I think that's even too generous. But it also could be that I hate Dr. Isaac Yankum and nothing well, you do. will persuade me to like him because it's just he, bad. He is 100% your disco inferno. But I will say, though, one of the things I really liked for like the three months that uh, AEW Collision was good was the fact that and I, don't, I know you never watched it, but they started each episode kind of like this. Like, you know, how they do recaps at the beginning of episodes. So I kind of like it because it's like, oh, yeah, this is the rivalry. But it's also really bad, but also kind of good. I don't know, man. I don't know what to make. Let's just move on. I got. I don't know. Well, don't worry, Joseph. It gets better. We have Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Doink the Clown. During the match, Vince announces that The Undertaker has received a quote-unquote crushed face. And Hunter Hearst Helmsley defeats Doink the Clown in a three-minute, 50-second match. Give me the play-by-play, Joseph. So an interesting kind of fact on this is uh, this is not the original Doink the Clown. Uh, I don't know if you were aware that there were multiple. I know a lot of people who listen to this will probably go, oh, yeah, we, we all knew that. But at this point, it is not the original uh, Doink the Clown. Uh, this is Steve Lombardi, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Brawler. Every once in a while, he would kind of, I guess, moonlight as Doink the Clown. Um, and especially because you have all the makeup on, you can't really see that it's him. Um, <clears throat> the original Doink the Clown was, was Matt Osborne. Um, and unfortunately he and the WWF kind of, uh, had a bit of a falling out. I think they were able to clear things up a little bit later on in his career. So there's some, uh, he had, unfortunately a very kind of, uh, trying, uh, life. He's no longer, uh, with us, but, uh, he did the original joint clown, uh, was very much a, uh, villain, I believe. And he did. To my understanding, a lot of people love the work he did. By this point, he's really just kind of a comedy character. And I think this version is not as highly sought after um, as other versions. So I think you kind of see that in this. Um, You know, there's a moment where Helmsley sprays perfume around and uh, Vince says that it smells like insecticide. I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was, you know, from both of them, I thought the Helmsley spraying it was funny. And I thought Vince's response to it was funny. Uh, Vince and Jerry briefly uh, mentioned Shawn Michaels uh, uh, nightclub incident, which I believe they say they're going to talk about later on. And Jerry's really like, he wants to give the news. He's so excited because again, Jerry's a a heel. Um, And then uh, they mention that Helmsley will face Fatu in your house four. So they kind of mentioned that. And then Helmsley wins with a degree, which I do believe is the right call. I think this has been his second match on on raw so far they're clearly kind of pushing him forward as not again not a main adventure but like a solid this is one of the guys of the mid card and i think that's fine um overall i give it a c it's not it's not good it's not bad there's nothing really wrong with it it's it's a bit of a squash match i like helms helmsley's kind of character work he's still kind of figuring it out he's never really done this character solo um, so he's kind of figuring it out and he'll, he'll do some things that are better and worse as time goes on. I think it's fine. How about you? I thought the match was fine. The, you know, despite my, my joking at the beginning, uh, I thought, but I thought the match was, was fine. There's, there's really no problem with it. I thought they both, uh, presented, I thought they presented well. Um, I thought, I thought it was good back and forth. I mean, it, you know, I think we kind of knew that Doink was going to lose, and he does, but, you know, it is what it is. Doink, at least at this point, I think is kind of in a, it's a low point for the Doink the Clown character. And in fact, I think this is the last time we see Doink the Clown on a WWF Raw, or at least for quite a while. So that's that. But yeah, the match was fine. Um, but after the match, we go backstage and we see Barry Horowitz and he's teaching Hakushi about baseball, Joseph. And I bet you have some thoughts about this segment. I do. So this is essentially the Americanization of Hakushi. I think they may even say that. I don't remember. I don't remember if that was my phrase or if that was their phrase. I have no idea. Uh, but Barry Horowitz asks, uh, Hakushi who the best home run hitter of all time is. And then he drops a few hints and he's very clearly, 
uh, referencing Babe Ruth, at which point Hakushi interrupts him and says, no, Hank Aaron. And I will say, oh, and then, and then uh, Barry Horowitz says, you're absolutely right, and hugs him. And I will say, uh, Hakushi is absolutely right. At this point in time, in 1995, that is the best home run hitter of all time. That all being said, this is a bad segment, and it gets a D. Well, there you have it. Yeah, I got nothing more to say about it. It was whatever. It's, I don't know. It's WWF Raw in 1995. That's all I can say. Up next, though, we have the tag team championship match. We've got the Smoking Guns, Bart and Billy Gunn versus, again, the folks from PG-13, JC Ice and Wolfie D. During the match, we go split screen to Gorilla Monsoon, who's forcing Yokozuna to fill in for The Undertaker versus King Mabel at In Your House. And Jerry Lawler brings up this Syracuse incident with Shawn Michaels. Go into it, Joseph. Okay, I, I guess we'll talk about the incident first because we can kind of uh, move on into the match and then move on to the rest of it. So the incident is real. It's a, it's a true thing. There's been a lot of different reports as to what exactly happened. Uh, the best that can be figured um, is that Shawn Michaels was out um at a, at a at a bar in Syracuse, uh, he was apparently with One Two Three Kid, who he was really good friends with, and British Bulldog, who he was actually uh, pretty decent acquaintances with. I don't know if they were really good friends. I, I don't know their their complete dynamic, um, but they were all hanging out and they were they were, you know getting wasted and stuff. And then uh, the stories vary on how many people there were, um, but apparently he was hitting on a a woman um, and. Her ex-boyfriend did not like that. Um, she did not have a problem with it, but the ex-boyfriend did, had a problem with it and eventually apparently dragged him out of a car and they all started beating the crap out of him. And apparently uh, one, two, three kid and David boy uh, or David boy Smith, AKA the British bulldog were apparently in the, uh, the back seat of a very, very tight car. And it was one of those cars where like, you have to put the seats down in front to get out of it, out of the back. So they were in the back seat when they got, when he got pulled out and apparently it was her car. It was actually her car. Cause they were all going to go to her place. Um, and he got pulled out and they beat the crap out of him and they couldn't get out of the car in enough time to like help him out. So he's completely, you know, beat to hell. He did go to the hospital. There's been reports of, you know, it was four people. There's been reports of it's nine people. I want to say there was ridiculous when it was 15 people. Um, I think the, the, the understanding for the most part is nine people. And then uh, Marty Jannetty says it was actually just one person because uh, at this point, I think Marty Jannetty was just so in his feelings. Uh, so I, I wouldn't take, I wouldn't take anything Marty Jannetty says as truth anyway. So there you go. But it was a real incident and it would lead to um, kind of not really necessarily it would lead to some, some scrambling from, from WWF on what they, what they need to do, because he actually is real life hurt right now. I think he had a concussion at the time. Um, we'll see him soon and you can see he's absolutely, you know, beat to hell. Um, yeah. So it's, it's an unfortunate situation. Um, and that is real. So the report earlier that we mentioned that mean gene was saying in, in the WCW episode, this is who they're talking about. So one thing I really hate about that. And I think I can talk about that now is that, Number one, you're basically saying a fan beat him up in a, in a parking lot at an event. So you're lying to the audience, which there were po police reports. There were evidence to say, like, you could at least tell the truth about it, you know. And two, you're making light of what is actually a very real situation and, and a very unfortunate one. Now, I'm not saying that Shawn Michaels in 1995 probably didn't say something that also, uh, you know, helped increase the likelihood of, you know, getting beat up because he was very, uh, you know, brazen at the time. Um, but there it is. So that's actually what happened. And then I think now I'll just go into the match. Do it. All right. So PG 13, I, I actually made a huge mistake when I was taking the notes for this. I decided that this was going to be the night that I was going to write down all of the, the, the word for word promos everybody gives. And then I did the whole beginning, Dr. Isaac Yankum and Bret Hart and Jerry. And by that point I was already burnt out. So by the time I get to this one, PG-13 <laughs> gives a promo. 
I I didn't care enough to write the whole thing down. But what I did write down is I believe they they end this with these two punks from the hood. Again, this is PG-13. These two punks from the hood are coming to lasso you. That's the end. That's kind of the end of the promo. It's not a great promo. Also, you guys are not from the hood. No one thinks you are. It's really bad. Um, Gorilla Monsoon uh, announces uh, right before this that the that Yokozuna will be the man to face Mabel in your house for replacing Undertaker, who is hurt because uh, Mabel actually hurt him in real life. Uh, <clears throat> JC Ice in this match dances around the ring only to get clotheslined, which is a cool spot, but he does it twice in a row. Because like the whole idea is like I'm gonna dance around and like I'm I'm so big and then all of a sudden I turn and then wham I get clotheslined because I was being chauvinistic, but he does it back to back and it's really not very good. Uh, Billy Gunn does have a nice uh, uh, slingshot uh, in this, and then the the smoking guns win with a sidewinder, and I think the match itself is okay. It gets a C for me, but there's nothing, there's nothing good going on right now. So it's just a C overall. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with the match. I don't feel like, I mean, I, th- I you know, Bart gun and Billy gun are, are good wrestlers. And, I, and honestly, I think PG 13 are pretty good wrestlers. You know, they, they, they do what they need to do. I mean, obviously they're there to lose and I think they sell it really well. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, you know, we've, as we've discussed before, don't love the characters. Don't buy that they're these rough and tumble gangsters, like thugs or punks or whatever they say. I just, I just don't buy it. What I, I, I've given my thoughts on both of these teams previously, so I don't really think I need. We need to go into detail on that. And then overall, it's just I thought the match was fine. You know, the guns retain the titles as we knew they would. That's that's pretty much it. But it's not it for the night because we still got a couple of matches to go through here. God help us. After that, we're shown an interview from over the weekend with British Bulldog and Jim Cornette. Doc Hendricks is talking to them. They're talking about how Bulldog turned on Diesel and pinned him in the ring. And he's going to make everyone respect him at In Your House. Joseph, what do you think about this promo? Production wise, it looks pretty good. But I think they were just recording a live show, but they, they filmed this bit. And so there's there's actually I think this is overall really good. I really enjoy what Jim Cornette does here. This rivalry hasn't really made too much sense. Again, you know, as, as you mentioned, uh, British Bulldog did go heel, and and actually the person he went heel on was Diesel. Um, but they really haven't done anything to kind of connect the dots. So in this promo, Jim Cornette outlines exactly why this situation is the way it is. He basically breaks down the entire plot line of the British Bulldogs plan for the last few months and, you know, why he turned heel and and why he's been kind of setting the stage for this match. Like like almost he's making it sound like British Bulldog is way more calculated than he actually was. I think this is a situation where um, they, they were just kind of on the seat of their pants booking these things and then went, okay, uh, Cornette, please just go make it work. And he did. He did a great job. Uh, I did write down here, and again, because by this point I was just burnt out on promos. Uh, he he does say, do you think in your wildest dreams that anything will stop him from achieving his goal? And I think that's a great cap off to Jim Cornette's portion of the promo. It's a great bit. And then Doc Hendricks uh, insinuates that Yokozuna's leg drop actually helped British Bulldog win the last week. And that's why British Bulldog wins. And then to your point earlier, British Bulldog says this is a lack of respect. And then British Bulldog's portion of the promo isn't too great. Uh, Overall, I give it a B. I think it's a really fun segment. I think it ties everything together nicely and gives you some sort of um, hope for a great pay-per-view. And that's, I think that's as good as, as good as Cornette can do with the situation at hand. I've never disliked a Jim Cornette promo, at least yet in our watch and you know again we've talked about this before but i think jim Cornette is one of the best in the business at what he does about being a manager about just doing these fire promos this is how you string together just nonsense and make it coherent because jim Cornette did it somehow and he did a great job you're right bulldogs bulldog I, i don't think bulldogs really great all that great on the mic ever he has some good promos but for the most part not his not his uh best effort but Jim Cornette, Jim Cornette going Jim Cornette and Jim Cornette, Jim Cornetted. And that's how I feel about that. 
But how do you feel about the next promo, Joseph? Because we got Ahmed Johnson, and he's and he's talking about honor, I think, and a and a woman making minimum wage. Well, all right, all right, all right. I'll just go to take this over because and kids need to do well in school, at, and at if your mother point, can find seven eight bucks for a, at this, no, I, no, you, I got, got it. Got to stay in school, I man. It. I got it. Okay, look, I'll, I'll take this. Okay, so. At this point in this episode, I said no, because because you know Cornette really rejuvenated me with a fire promo. So I said, Joseph, you're better than this. You disrespected Jim Cornette. You're not going to do the same thing to Ahmed Johnson. You need to write down this promo. So I did. So this is Ahmed Johnson on honor. Him discussing honor. Ahmed Johnson says. Honor is when you watch your mother go to work every day making minimum wage. Okay, I'm with you so far. Although you know in your heart she is not a minimum wage woman, but yet she's making minimum wage. But then she can find that five, eight dollars that it take to take you to a WWF event. And then you look at her and you say, mama, I appreciate that. So you go to school the next day and you do the best you can for her and yourself. That's honor. And I give this segment the second B question mark of the show. Because I don't know what the hell just happened. I don't know how this is talking about honor. I was thoroughly entertained. I don't think for the right reasons. So it gets a B question mark. Unlike the opening segment of the night where I disagreed with you on your B question mark, this was ridiculously stupid and it made no sense. And that's why I loved it. Um, I rewatched it a couple of times. I didn't take the notes that you took. I just kind of took the qu quick notes, but I did rewind this a couple of times because I wasn't sure what was going on. And I laughed harder every time. Somebody, I think somebody said, we're going to just let you speak from the heart. And he did. But man, th this is one of those things where somebody should have should have written this for him. I, t t just like you, I, I watched it the first time and I was like, oh, this will probably be a quick segment. I should, I don't need to write this down. I'll just hit the, the notes. And then I went, what the hell did I just watch? So I rewatched it and I still didn't know. So I said, I have to write down every single thing he just said to see if I can make sense of this. And I have, and I've read it multiple times, written down like a script. And I don't know what just happened. It's a beautiful thing. But Joseph, is it as beautiful as our next match where we have Dean Douglas and Joe Dorgan? Uh I guess it's it's a I'm not I'm not going to beat around the bush here. Dean Douglas defeats this guy. It's a two minute, seven second match during the match, though. Vince tells us that Dean Douglas is still going to wrestle Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental belt at In Your House. They talk about the Syracuse incident again, and we go to Shawn Michaels on the telephone from San Antonio He's beat up pretty bad, but he is going to wrestle, although he tells us it might not be his best effort. Tell me about all of this, Joseph. Well, you know, you often love to use the term peak and, and, and in reference to specific things. So you'll say, like, if, if Flair gives a great promo, you'll say, that's peak Flair, right? This right here is peak 90s because the phone-in with the horrible, horrible phone-in audio, where you can almost not hear exactly what he's saying, is absolutely peak 90s, and I love it. The match itself, Joe Dorgan is just somebody they picked up off the street. He's not anybody relevant, you know. They, and they do this, right? They'll just, you know, um, a local talent, as they'll call them. Um, it, it's a squash match. The match is, it gets a D for me. It doesn't do anything for Dean. Um, I think they, you know, obviously with what happened, they probably had to pivot and try to figure out how to make this all work. Um, it just gets a D it's, there's nothing great about it. I, I, I don't hate anything. I just don't, there's nothing that I can, I can't even give it like a real positive at any point. 
But yeah, they're they're trying to figure out what to do here. Clearly, they have no idea what to do. After that, though, we have a vignette from Gold Dust. Joseph, tell me. Yeah, it's a real quick vignette. It's very simple. Uh, he says, uh, and I did actually write this down because it is very quick, so it was not hard to write down. Uh, Marty Jannetty, teen idol. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Because you see, pretty boy, when I come in your house, you're in for a major makeover courtesy of gold dust. I think, look, he, he does a lot of movie references. It's a Gone with the Wind reference. I love the film Gone with the Wind. This is absolutely like we saw Goldus a few weeks ago um, before his in your house three match. And we, and we kind of were like, Hey, you're so close, but you're not quite there. This is, this is Goldust. Like this is him. Oh no, he wasn't in your house three. No, this is going to be his first match. Huh? In your house four. that yep. I'll, I'll correct myself. Um, so we'll see him there looking like Goldust, but this really is like the first time he looks like Goldust and he's doing everything the way Goldust does. I mean, top to bottom uh it looks great overall it gets a b for me it's nothing amazing it's very quick very uh crisp and to the point i like it gets a b i i again i'm just i'm just so impressed with how close he already is to being the gold dust we know and love it's you know he got into the character really fast and, and does really well with it and i thought this was just another example of good gold dust vignette after that though we have another promo this time we have paul <laughs> that was really good man i like that i like that Thank i almost very much i don't i don't actually have much to say about this it's a very another very quick they're just kind of setting up i think at this point they're setting up the cage is what they're doing so they're just kind of putting these vignettes in here real quickly just like move along some storylines basically paul bearer's whole uh, his whole promo is about the fact that uh, that Undertaker is now brutally disfigured uh, because his face does have a, a giant facial fracture. He is actually dealing with that. Um, so he's brutally disfigured. And when you finally see him again, uh, he won't be the same Undertaker. And I think he does a very good job. Uh, overall, the promo gets an A from me, but he does ensure the fan base. You will be seeing the Undertaker again. And he will absolutely write all the wrongs that were done to him. It's very simple. It's to the point. It's got the voice. I love it. It gets an A. I guess we'll just have to take Paul's word for it. Because I feel like getting your face crushed is kind of like a snap snack, a neck snap thing that you just don't come back from. But let's hope for the best here. Let's see. But as you mentioned, they needed some time to, to construct the steel cage. And it has been constructed. And we are ready for our main event. Bret Hart versus Dr. Isaac Yankum. As mentioned at the beginning of Raw, there was some foreshadowing there. Jerry Lawler has switched the locks. So Bret Hart can't get in. He's got to climb. Jerry Lawler meets uh, meets him at the top, and Bret punches, uh, you know, punches him back down to the mat. Gorilla comes out. Lawler has violated the terms of the match. Lawler's thrown in the cage. Lawler says he's getting a nosebleed, even though he's maybe 25 feet off the ground. Uh, Lawler tosses Yankum the key to unlock the cage, but Brett punches Yankum. It looked like in the balls and uh, retrieves the key, but still ends up climbing out of the cage. Anyways, Brett, Brett Hart defeats Dr. Isaac Yankum in a 16 minute match. Give me the details, Joseph. So um, I know I know that you're probably going to grade this very negatively. I didn't grade it very high. Don't worry. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, there's a few things that happen. Obviously, you mentioned that, you know, he switched the locks. I thought that worked based off the earlier promo. That was like he alludes to it a number of times through the night. You know, I've got this match under lock and key, and that's that's the reference. And I think Vince McMahon goes, oh, that's what he meant by under lock and key. And it's like, OK, whatever. Um and then uh, at one point in the match, uh, actually just smack dab in the middle of the ring. And I love I love when wrestlers do this because uh, the the at least in this match, you, you can only win by escaping the cage. There are some cage matches where you can win by pinfall or submission. But in this one, you can only win by escaping the cage. And in the middle of the ring, Bret Hart hits the scorpion death lock. And it looks freaking gorgeous. It's so good. Uh, and then, like you said, Lawler gets, uh, you know, gets caged, uh, ends up getting caged. Uh, there is a DDS in the middle of the ring. 
Um, and then, you know, he tosses the key, Bret Hart hits a bulldog and exits the cage with the key and he wins overall from a purely in-ring perspective. And also from a, from a character perspective, I think Jerry Law does actually a really good job in this match. He, you know, when he's saying he's, he's, his, he's going to get a nosebleed, he's going to get a nosebleed. And then his nose actually does start bleeding. Cause they did, you know, they use like a, a capsule or something. It's really, really fun. Like that segment is really, really fun. The in-ring action is actually very nice and crisp. I think Bret Hart does a good job. I think that Isaac Yankum from an in-ring perspective does a good job. They don't really work with the cage the way I would like to see a cage work, but also cage matches are not super defined by this point. In fact, this cage doesn't look anything like a cage they'll, they'll start having later on. Um, so there's kind of uh, a bit of problem with that. Like they're not using the cage as a weapon, which I kind of think you should in a cage match. Uh, but again, early, early in the years of cage matches um, overall, the segment gets a C plus for me because I don't think as far as a standalone segment goes, I don't think there's anything wrong with what happened here. I don't think it was great. I don't think it was bad. I think it was a little bit better than, than okay. So I gave it a C plus, but I do have a note here that I forgot I wrote, which is, is this feud finally over? And I hope it is. You're going to be surprised because I did not hate this. I thought it was okay. I think you're right. The best part of it was Jerry Lawler. Surprisingly, I thought he was really fun in the little cage, complaining the whole time, just kind of dangling in this little man-sized cage kind of off to the side and about the nosebleed and all those sorts of things. I thought that was pretty amusing. As you said, the in-ring action was fine. You know, Bret Hart obviously is one of the best technical wrestlers that's ever lived. He does what he needs to do. He puts Dr. Isaac Yankum at DDS in a great sharpshooter. And because there is no submission, he locks that thing on hard. Overall, they wrestled very, a very good match. You know, as you know, I, I really don't like the Dr. Isaac Yankum character. I think it's a terrible gimmick. I hate everything about it. But this for this match, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a good match. It seems like it should be the end. It, you know, it's this was a main. I think, you know, as far as the storyline goes, this is this is a main event end of your story match. So God willing, it is the end. But I don't recall it being the end. I think I think we move. Brett moves on to another dumb feud for a while and then this comes back somehow and i genuinely i genuinely don't remember like i as i was watching it i was i just went like i started racking my brain because we're as and in our personal watch we're a little bit ahead of this and i was going like does this does this continue please tell me this doesn't continue please tell me we're finally done i genuinely can't remember it could just be that i'm traumatized but i feel <laughs> like we're not done with this i think we drop it for a little while and then it comes back but Let's hope some, it say, some say they're still feuding to this day. So let's hope as we're, as we're getting close to the end of 1995, we're going to see that light at the end of the tunnel for Brett, but I don't think we're there yet, but we are there for the end of the night. You know, I, I, overall the, the, this show got a C for me, but I think we can go right into the Nielsen's or, or I guess we could talk about who we felt one. I think uh, before we, you know, before we Nielsen's, I personally think this is a clear sweep. WCW, I think head to toe, it was a much better program. There was so much confusing things going on on Raw. Uh, some of it unwatchable. I think WCW was just light years ahead. I have nothing else to add. You are absolutely right. WCW won the night. I, I think there was very little down. There was some down in WCW, but very little. It was overall a pretty good night. What's the Nielsen for Raw, though, Joseph? Nielsen, Raw, Nielsen for Raw this week is a 2.6. So they kind of bounce back. And the Nielsen for WCW is 2.2. Wow. So WCW lost. I guess they did have a cage match to end it. So maybe people were just hyped for that. Yeah. I mean, Bret Hart in a cage. You know, I guess it doesn't matter who Bret Hart's wrestling. Is Bret Hart in a cage? I, maybe. I don't know. But that brings us to the end of the night, Joseph. Thanks for doing this with me. Hey, I appreciate you. Appreciate you. And uh, before we go, Scott. Oh, God. Today's episode of the Monday Night Wars Radio Hour was brought to you by Viceroy's Cigarettes. Kids, 
Do your parents always keep a pack of Viceroy cigarettes in the house? Well, we at Viceroy Cigarettes recommend you sneak a few, then buy a replacement pack at your local supermarket. That's right. Viceroy Cigarettes are child-friendly and safe. Viceroy Cigarettes, you won't regret us. Please don't sue us if you still exist, Viceroy Cigarettes. Hey everybody, it's Joseph. Did you like this podcast? Well, we hope that you did, and also that you join us every Monday for new episodes. You can listen to us on Spotify, and soon we'll explore other platforms to bring you episodes of the Monday Night Wars. Did you listen to this podcast and think, hmm, pretty sure they're wrong about that? Well, let us know. You can email us at mnwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's mnwpodcast at gmail.com. And correct anything we messed up. Don't worry, you won't bruise our egos. You can also give us suggestions, follow the show, or even just reach out to us on the following platforms. On Twitter, you can reach us at M-O-N Night Wars Pod. Again, M-O-N Night Wars Pod. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can reach us at Monday Night Wars Podcast. And finally, if you feel like supporting this podcast and also getting bonus content, you can follow us on Patreon at Monday Night Wars Podcast. For the low price of $2 a month, you get every episode of the Monday Night Wars and also every breakdown of every WCW and WWF pay-per-view during this era with more content to come. Again, and one last time, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We'll see you next Monday back here on the Monday Night Wars podcast.